Starting with verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he saith unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw, for the, draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And soon, as soon as they then, excuse me, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto him, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all that there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto him, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto them, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Father, we pray your mercy upon our sins. Pray, dear God, that you'd meet with us now, dear God, and give us that grace that we stand in need of. Encourage us, help us, dear Lord, to do that which is honoring unto you, Lord. And we ask all these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come here finishing up the Gospel of John. We look here and we see something that is unique. Remember that the Gospel of John is different from the other four Gospels, excuse me, the other three Gospels, and the fact that the other three are what's referred to as the synoptic Gospels. It means they're very close with each other, synonymous, many of the same miracles that are mentioned, uh, many of the same perspectives of different accounts that take place are all seen uh, very closely related in Matthew, Mark, and Luke there. But when we come to John, John is a Gospel that is written in much later date. It is written from a different perspective. And it shows more than any of the four there the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to John 21, we see something, an account of something that is unique to this gospel here uh, that is not found in the other three, and that is the restoration of Peter. What we have here, when we look there, especially at the last several verses of John 20, we have there a closing, what seems to be a closing of that gospel there. Uh, John could have ended it right there. And it would have been, uh, very much, it would have been a complete gospel. It would have presented Christ in, in a unique light. It would have showed Him all that was needed for souls to be saved and for Christ to be recognized as the Son of God. But John does not stop here. And he does that again because he is mentioning here, and he is bringing to light the restoration of Peter. 
The last time Peter is truly mentioned or, or any uh, emphasis is put on Peter here, it is at his failure. Now we know he ran, him and John ran to the tomb there and saw the empty tomb. We know that Christ appeared unto him. But Christ has not dealt with Peter uh, up in this time uh, since the denial. We know there that Jesus had told them, he said, uh, you'll be, uh, I'll be forsaken, I'll be left alone, uh, and, and uh, I'll be by myself at the cross. And Peter said, listen, I'm willing to die with you. He said, if everybody else forsakes you, I'll go to the cross. He said, I'll, I'll die with you there. And he looks at him and says, Peter, before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me not once, not twice, but three times. We know that, that that account obviously took place there. Christ being uh, God there knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, it happened exactly the way he said it was going to happen. And when Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, we look over in the Gospel of Luke, and he makes eye contact and sees Peter as he is being, uh, right before he is being crucified there, as he's being scourged, as the false trial comes, excuse me, right before he's scourged, as the false trial is taking place. Here is Peter, and he stands out there, and he makes eye contact with the Lord after he has denied him three times. Bible tells us that Peter not only left, but he went out and wept bitterly. Now, had it been that Christ left him alone here, had it been that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, even if he had forgiven Peter, even if he had talked with him, had we not had this account right here of where Peter and, and Jesus come face to face and Christ deals with him, what we would have had is a man that was defeated. What we would have had is a man that deserted the ministry that he was called to. When he says here, I go a fishing. Right? At this time, remember, and the circumstances were unprecedented circumstances up until this point. No time before in history had it ever been the situation uh, that these men were in. Where Peter, their, their Messiah, uh, that they had walked with for three and a half years, that they had performed this public ministry with, uh, they saw him die. Now they knew the tomb was empty. They had seen him risen again, but they were still in a place of confusion. The, the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Uh, power had not yet been given to them. Uh, clarity had not been, yet been given. Christ told them to abide in Galilee until the Spirit come. They didn't know what they were getting into. And again, Peter up until this point had not been personally restored to right fellowship with Christ here. And at this time, he is in a place of confusion. The last thing he has on his mind is that he has failed his Lord there and that he is no longer, in his mind, he is no longer worthy of the calling that he had been given there. At this point there, when he said, I go a-fishing, he was not saying that he was going to just go into leisure time or that he was going to take a break there. What he was saying is, I'm going back to the lifestyle that I know. What he was saying is, I have failed Christ. Christ can no longer use me. I've no longer got a purpose. And all the past promises, no doubt, served as a tremendous reminder of that failure when Christ looked at him in Matthew 16 there and talked to him and said, and I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom there, and, he, and uh, all these promises he had there, he talked to Peter, he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock there again, the, the play on words, Christ being uh, Petra there, being that the large cornerstone, Peter being Petros, being the small uh, pebble, a part of it, but a key part. At this time he had failed Christ, and he was going back to his old lifestyle. Friends, I look at this, and it is an encouragement when we see 
that Christ does not leave us in that place. We look at this and we tie in similar verses. We look at 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. God does not leave us in a place of, uh, in a place of defeat there. God will come and give comfort and grace here. If we have remorse, if we have repentance, God will come and give us restoration into that right fellowship with Him. No doubt Peter was broken hearted. I can only imagine what was going through the mind of this man that had once performed miracles, that had once been uh, sent out uh, in the two-by-two there and and cast out demons and uh, had seen the dead raised to life, had witnessed the work of Christ, and now he is in a place where uh, uh, all he sees there is that past failure and he can't be used again to the point where he says, listen, I'm just going to go back to my old lifestyle. And God comes right to where he's at. The Lord Jesus Christ, in His grace, comes looking for Peter. Notice Peter, even though he knew the Lord, did not come looking for Jesus. In a place of shame, in a place of discouragement, in a place of distress, he forsook and he went back to that old lifestyle, friends. That shows us there that we cannot live a single day to please God apart from the grace and the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have it within us that the uh, depravity of man will push us from God and not to Him. Here is Peter, and again, he's done more than you and I have ever done. Uh, as far as the ministry goes, being able, I, I've never uh, raised the dead, I've never cast out demons, I've never sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Here is Peter, he's done all those things. He's walked on the water, friends. Many times we mock Jesus, but he did some, trem- or, excuse me, we mock Peter, but he did some tremendous things there uh, with the Lord, and now he is at a place where he is going to quit. He said, I'm going fishing, I'm going back to my old lifestyle. And he comes there. And the disciples, a group of them, and they're less than six, that had also walked with Christ, said, we'll go with you. He had influenced others there. They had seen Peter. Though Peter had a a bad problem, many times he put his foot in his mouth. No doubt about it. But Peter here was an unspoken leader. He was the one that they looked to uh, for leadership, that they followed him, and they come and they said, we're going with you. The sons of Zebedee, James and John, uh, the, the great power with them, John being the, uh, the very author of this book here, uh, they, they come and they say, I go with you. We'll go and we'll follow you back to that lifestyle. And the Bible tells us that they fished all night and they caught nothing. Friends, that is a picture of man's works tonight. That's a picture of man outside of the will of God. They did not know. It's amazing to notice. These were not... Uh, these were not young children. These were not men that, that didn't know what they were doing. They weren't inexperienced. These were professional fishermen. And they come there and they go and they get out on that water. They knew the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, same as the Sea of Galilee. They knew this area. They had grown up there. They had lived there. They had worked these waters. Uh, James and John there were no, no less than second generation fishermen because when Christ saved them, they were on their father's ship there. They had done this their whole life. And yet they caught nothing. And Christ came to them. And He asked them a simple question. He said, children, have you any meat? Have you caught anything? At that point, they had not recognized who the Lord Jesus was. At that point, they had not yet seen Him and recognized who He was there. And they said, we've caught nothing. What a tremendous picture today of what man's works do there. What a tremendous picture of what religion does today. Religion saves no one. 
The law saves no one. By the, uh, uh, the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, is what the book of Romans tells us there. Peter had come to the place again, no doubt, a place of discouragement, uh, a place where he was going to, uh, going to quit there. And he goes back. We see there the, the break that is in, in verses 1 through 5 there, the working. He goes back to that old lifestyle. He said, I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what I'm comfortable with. Thank God today, friends, that's not where God leaves us. Every one of us here, if we're honest, we have had a point in time where we are like Peter, we have failed God, and yet God does not fail us. And His faithfulness there, we see, uh, this is the very definition of grace, friends. The word grace means unmerited favor. Undeserved, unearned favor there. And the very definition of grace that we see here, where uh, Peter had forsaken God, Peter had failed God, yet God is faithful to Peter and comes to where he is there. Friends, we see also a picture of eternal security. If a man could lose his salvation... If a man could lose it, not only would he have lost it when he denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times, but he would have lost it for sure when he turned around and forsook Christ and went back to that old lifestyle. But here is God in His grace, and He's not done with Peter. He comes right to where he's at there. We see the working. We see the waste in verses 4 and 5. Again, uh, going back into uh, something that is secular, something that is worldly. Friends, a, a person that is truly called to the ministry cannot be happy in a worldly condition. He could not ha- have survived. He could not have succeeded ever in those in a secular history because God had something uh, that was much more important for him there. Now, again, we see there the, the break in verses 1 through 5, but we see also uh, the bounty in verses 6 through 11 there. Uh, when we see here, uh, I want you to notice here, this is the last recorded miracle of Christ. And it is done concerning the church. It is done concerning the restoration and the, and the provision for the church there. Uh, we see the command that is given in verse number 6 when uh, Jesus is speaking unto them. He says, And Jesus said unto them, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now, again, we see here the difference between doing the work by, by the flesh and doing the work in the faith. In the flesh they labored all night and caught nothing. By faith, with it, with one act, taking that net and casting that net on the right side of the ship there, they drew in, the Bible tells us, 153 fish so large that normally that net would have been torn. Now that net is a picture of the gospel. That gospel reaches out, goes into the multitude, grabs the multitude, and it is strong enough to hold all that are brought in. Alright? There was no tearing of the net. There was no rending of it. It was strong enough to withhold all of that. Friends, we see there that beautiful picture. Now, when we see this, what we are seeing here is Christ, the fulfillment of Christ saying, I'll make you fishers of men there. Uh, we see here that, that uh, the redeemed must work closely with the Redeemer. That we must work hand in hand. Uh, the saint must work with the Savior in order for us to be uh, able to accomplish anything. Friends, the church apart from Christ is absolutely worthless. The church apart from Christ is nothing more than a country club. When Christ is in it, we are a living organism. We are uh, something that is alive, something that is powerful, something that is energized uh, by the Spirit of God there. And we see there that uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says we're laborers together with God. Uh, In Christ there, He tells them where to cast the net, when to cast the net, how to cast the net, but they have to be obedient in doing that. Friends, that tells us that salvation is of the Lord today. It is Christ that convicts the heart. It is Christ uh, that calls the heart, that draws that heart in there. It's Christ that converts the heart. It is Christ that keeps the heart. But it is you and I today that are the instruments that God wants to use. 
It's amazing to think that somebody like us that has failed God, that God would use us to be the very instrument Amen. that saves men and women, boys and girls. That's amazing today. When we think about the, the tremendous privilege that we have, friends, the ministry, whether it be standing behind a pulpit and preaching, whether it be teaching, whether it be singing, whether it be uh, something as, as easy or as simple as uh, cleaning or uh, doing uh, manual labor for the church, whatever it may be, friends, to think that we are even allowed to be a part of that great work of Christ there, to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be used by God is something that should keep us in great humility that God would even give us the grace and allow us to do such an important work. That's amazing to me. I cannot get over how good God is and that such a, a tremendous, miraculous work. Friends, the greatest miracle today that is still performed is not the raising of the dead. It's not the giving sight to the blind. It's not the mess you see on TV where they come and they uh, push somebody over and, and, and they command somebody to walk out of a wheelchair. That's not the great miracle today. The greatest miracle is still the miracle of salvation. Amen. When you take a sinner that is dead in trespasses and sins, cares nothing for the Word of God, the will of God, the work of God. Friends, the lost don't care anything about that. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now that means we don't understand them apart from the Holy Spirit of God shining light on those things. We, in our depravity and sinful man's depravity, we don't even care about those things. But to think that, that God would come to where we are, and the Bible says, ye hath he quickened. The word quicken means to make alive. That God would take someone that is dead in trespasses and sins. And just as he breathed life into the, uh, the very body of Adam, he would breathe that spiritual life into you and I. And then he would take it a step further and use us. Friends, that ought to be something that humbles us tonight. That ought to be something that excites us tonight when we think about God's amazing grace, the command that was given, uh, the confirmation that was given there. He says, and ye shall find there. Uh, again, it's not you might find, but ye shall find. When we, uh, when we are obedient to the will of Christ, when we are obedient to God's guidance and the Word of God, friends, we are going to be prosperous in the things of God. Now again... Prosperity, as far as humanly speaking and spiritually speaking, are two different things. Right. Right? We, we have what, that, what is referred to many times as, as the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it doctrine. It is very popular. People love to hear about it. If you're right with God, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, God will give you everything you want. Friends, you won't find that in Scripture. Some of the greatest men and women that have ever served the Lord have done it without any earthly gain. But yet God gives to them better than anything they could ever imagine there. Our gains, friends, if we were to gain everything, Solomon said it, he said, what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it matter if we're given a hundred years on this earth? Two hundred years, three hundred years, if a man could live five hundred years. What would it matter if they had every pleasure under the sun and yet died in their sin, went to hell and left all of it behind? What would it matter compared to if we didn't have much in this life, but we had it all in eternity? That's what Christ is talking about here. Ye shall find. You'll gain those things that I want you to gain. Friends, what God has for us is better than anything this world has to offer. It amazes me that when we see there what, what the world talks about will bring joy and happiness. Uh, wealth and, and, and power and all those things. If you notice when somebody has uh, the fortune, 
They get a million, oh, they want another million. It's never enough. You see someone that has power, uh, that, that has authority there, and it's always someone else to step on, someone else to conquer, to overcome there. You see someone that has all the worldly pleasures uh, that, that, that can be offered there, and it's never enough there. But when someone is right with Christ, there's a peace that passeth all understanding. And that's what, that's what he was offering tonight, that confirmation there. And the count there we see in, in verses uh, 7 down through verse number 11. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded about him unto his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked there. Uh, the term naked there again, uh, what it's speaking of in the Greek is it speaks of someone that has taken an outer layer off there. Uh, fishermen when they had come, they would have the, the, the two layers. Uh, they would have that outer garment that would come over top of them and then had an underneath garment uh, that would be counted. The underneath garment would have been kept on. It would have been kept for decency. But when Peter here sees the Lord, he, he girts himself about uh, with that extra layer and he dives into the water to go in to get to Christ. Peter again, uh, he, here he is and, and you got to love him. He, he is ambitious he is, is someone that is, is very much uh, excited and he comes there and, and, and uh, overwhelmed many times. Here he comes, he just he doesn't even wait. The Bible says they're 200 cubits away, roughly 300 feet. He doesn't even wait, he just dives in and swims right to him. And he gets to Christ there and he, and he comes and he recognizes uh, who he is there and, and sees him because of, of the testimony of John. The other disciples came in a little ship for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and the fish laid there on in the bread. Now that fire of coals is very significant. The last time we see a fire that is mentioned, it is in John 18 and verse 18 where Peter is gathered around that fire and he is just about to forsake the Lord. That fire would have been something that Christ gave as a memorial, something that He had given to remember, uh, for Peter to remember what had taken place there. They gathered around and it would have been something uh, that would have been brought to, uh, been a reminder to Peter of that past failure. You say, preacher, why would God remind him of that? Because before there can be forgiveness, there has to be repentance. Before there's restoration, there's got to be repentance. Okay? The word repent that we have in Scripture, it does not mean to just be sorry for something. There are many folks today that are sorry in their sin. There are many folks today that are in places of addiction and, and, and lifestyles that are very much detrimental to them. And they are sorry for that lifestyle. But they continue on in it. The word repentance, what it literally means is to turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. Peter here, before he could be restored, had to first be brought to a place where he would repent. And Christ did that ever so graciously. Now I want you to notice there are several contrasts that we see here in John 18 and John 21 there. In John 18, Peter is standing with the enemy. In John 21, Peter is standing with Christ and with God's people. In John 18, Peter is hungered. He's not fed there. He's standing outside in the cold. In John 21 there, he is fed not only physically, but spiritually and brought into fellowship. Uh, we see here again, in John 18, Peter rejects Christ. But in John 21, Peter is restored by Christ. There's a great contrast here. Even in God dealing with him in a place of, of judgment, so to speak, there, there's still God's mercy. And God is loving there and Jesus is, is merciful to him, but He brings him to this place. 
And he begins to speak to Peter. And, and as after they had eaten there and after they had fellowship, he asked Peter in, in verses 15 through 17, he asked Peter, he said, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. Now, he does not say Peter. And that's significant also. He does not call him Peter. The word Peter means a, a, a rock there, a small rock. Right? It speaks of stability. Peter, this place was not in a place of stability. So he is referred to as Simon. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, I want you to notice here, and we're going to look in, and we'll close with, uh, dealing with this section here, but I want you to notice there is a dissension that Christ brings there. He, he graciously and mercifully descends down and works in the heart of Peter in a special way. Uh, something that we don't see here using the English, but using the Greek, we'll, we'll look at it in just a minute. But he works in the heart of Peter in such a way that he humbles Peter. And he brings him to a place of not only humility, but a place of restoration there, a place of grace. Now when he comes to him, he says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now he asks him three times, lovest thou me? The first time in verse 15, lovest thou me more than these? This is the only time uh, that he makes mention of that. And what it is in reference to is in Matthew 26 there. And we see 26 in verse number uh, 30, uh, let me see, 33 there, I believe it is 34, excuse me, 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. What Peter is saying here in, tw in Matthew 26, what he is saying is, my love for you, Christ, is more, uh, the Lord, my love for you, Jesus, is more than anybody else's. He is claiming here superiority. To all the other disciples, to all those around, he said, though every other man be offended, though everyone else forsake you, I'll never leave you. Now as we get here, Jesus so graciously says, lovest thou me more than these. The word that, Pete, that, that Jesus uses when he says, lovest thou me in the Greek is the word agape. Right? It speaks of a divine love. Peter answers and says, yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. Thou knowest that I love thee. The word that Peter uses is the Greek word phileo. What it means is a fondness. It means a brotherly love or a, uh, a kindness towards him. Peter here is humbled to the point where he will not even declare his love for Christ to be a strong divine love. He's saying, I'm fond of you. That's a humility. Right here we see the defeat of Peter. Had Christ left him here, we would have seen the defeat there. Uh, Christ says, do you love me, Peter? It, 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 that divine love, do you love me more than these? Jesus, you know I'm fond of you. He was humbled to the place where he would not even say, Lord, I love you. I love you more than anything there. He, he was to the place where it was a humility. Now, uh, uh, Jesus again the second time says unto him, he says, feed my lambs. As, as, excuse me, the first time says, feed my lambs. Right? Uh, the, the term lambs are speaking of, of babies. They're speaking of new converts. This is Christ in grace saying, Peter, I'm not done with you. I'm going to restore you. Yeah, I still have a work for you to do there. He tells him to feed his lambs. He comes unto him in verse 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, he uses the Greek word agape. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Again, the Greek word phileo. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now, the first word that is used in verse 15, uh, the word feed there is a Greek word that, that simply means uh, just to do that, just to feed there. It simply means to provide for. The word that is used after that means to perform all the tasks or all the duty of a shepherd. Not only feeding, but guiding and, and protecting, uh, 
bringing in there, uh, giving grace to. Uh, it, it talks about all the work there. What uh, Christ is telling Peter is that you are still going to be a key work, a key instrument in the kingdom of God there. You're still going to be used in a mighty way. He comes to him the third time. And again, we see that number three there. Uh, it coincides with the three denials of, of Peter there. But he comes from the third time, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? The word that Christ uses that third time is the word phileo. He drops down and he says, Peter, if you're, not, if you're not going to tell me you love me, are you at least fond of me? It is bringing him to a place of humble recognition. Peter here again knew that he had failed. And knew that he, he had uh, uh, walked in defeat there. Knew that he could not uh, he, he could not in clear conscience say, Lord, you know I love you with all my heart. Because the last time he had done that, he failed miserably. So we see there a, humble, uh, a humility, a recognition of that. And it grieved him that he asked him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep again. He, he reiterates that the work is not done. This is God in mercy dealing with the heart of Peter. Now, we see here a, a, the, the true sign of repentance, the true fact of repentance that we can pick up here because of how Peter responds. He does not in arrogance and say, listen God, you know I love you more than all the rest here. You know uh, the, the other six that are with me, they're, they're good. But they don't love you the way I do. No, he, he responds to the place where he says, Lord, I'm fond of you. He's been humbled. And God can now use him again. Friends, the Bible says God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And he comes to Peter and he tells him, he says, at verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walked whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this unto him, he said, follow me. Here's God's mercy. Here's God's grace. Peter is so humbled that he, is, he tells him, he even goes on to tell him how he is going to die when thou is old. You're going to be bound, you're going to follow uh, history tells us, Fox's Book of Martyrs, tremendous book there. Uh, it tells us that Peter, when he died, he was crucified. And in humility and in respect and in reverence, he would not even, uh, he, he, was un, he figured himself, considered himself unworthy to die the way Christ had died. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to die in the same manner that the Lord Jesus. Friends, we see here a, a man that though he had failed miserably, Though he had forsaken God, though he had, had failed God, though he had denied Him, God in grace comes to him and gives him mercy, restores him, brings him under right fellowship, still uses him. Friends, yes, there had to be a humility that he was brought to. Yes, there had to be a place of repentance. But thank God there is also restoration tonight. Thank God for that restoration. Friends, could you imagine had Christ not come to where Peter was. Could you imagine if this account was not in Scripture and we see uh, this, this Gospel end the same way the others do. When we look at uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke there, we see uh, that, that Peter had been uh, spoken to but not dealt with in this manner there. Here God comes to him and gives him mercy and gives him grace there. Friends, thank God for grace tonight. Thank God for the restoration. 
It's amazing. The longer we walk with Christ, the more we realize just how much God has done for us, not before we were saved, but since we've been saved. It's amazing when we see that there. Uh, Friends, Peter, had he been left off and had had Christ not come to him, the church would not be what it is today. Peter was absolutely instrumental. We read about it in the first ten chapters of, of the book of Acts there. We see Peter, Christ had told Peter, said, you should be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the world. We see in Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost, there is Peter, and he is the key spokesman in Jerusalem and Judea witnessing to the Jews there. We see him in Acts chapter number 8. Where he comes unto, uh, he goes and, and unto Philip there, and he goes to the Samaritan, and he witnesses the Samaritan. The Samaritan receives there. He's a witness to him unto not only Jerusalem and Judea, but unto Samaria and Acts 8. And then we see him in Acts chapter number 10. He is taken unto the house of a man by the name of Cornelius, a Gentile. And from Cornelius, the gospel is cast out to the uttermost parts of the world. God used Peter. Friends, every one of us. Every one of us, if we're honest, have been guilty at some point in time where we have failed the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. But aren't you glad today that God already knew that? That His mercy is sufficient. That His, uh, His mercy is new every morning. His grace is sufficient for every need. And if we will come in humility, God won't be done with us. He'll be willing to use us in such an amazing... Friends, I, I'm blown away by the account of, of Peter here that God came to where he was. And loved him. If any, like I said, if anybody deserved not to be used, it's this man Peter. But God comes to right where he's at and begins to speak to his heart and to minister to him, to restore him and still to use him. Friends, that's God's grace tonight. That's His mercy tonight. I wonder how many people are outside of the church house. How many people have quit on serving God because they failed Him somewhere down the road? Because they came there and they, they uh, no doubt about it, they sinned, they failed Him. And they thought, God can't use somebody like me anymore. Aren't you glad God's grace is sufficient for even those people? Aren't you glad that if we're honest, we're even those people? And God's grace restores us back into right fellowship. Friends, we, we have a loving God tonight. We have a merciful God tonight. And there are those that are lost that need to hear about this loving God. But there are those who are saved that need to be reminded of this loving God also. Many folks today are outside of the church house. They won't come back in the church because they feel like God can't use them anymore. I wonder how many of us God wants to... I wonder how many of us here tonight God wants to use to reach out to those very people. I wonder how many of us know somebody that used to sit beside us or in front of us or behind us that doesn't come anymore. And God wants us to reach out to them and say, listen, the Lord still loves you. And the Lord still wants to use you. That's His grace tonight. That's His mercy. Thank God for that. If it wasn't for it, there wouldn't be a single one of us in the church house. Let's all stand tonight. Heads bowed. Eyes closed.